Hello, welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today we're talking about Azure Cloud Security Architecture at scale. We had Sai Gunaranjan from Allscript talking about how do you build architecture that is scalable, is secure in an Azure landscape and possibly with virtual machines and Windows containers. Yes, you heard that right. I did say Windows containers and we did have a laugh about that as well as to why would someone use Windows containers, but that's for another episode. In this episode, we spoke about what are some of the design considerations you would make when you're building an application in Azure for the first time, say starting at level zero, how would you mature it to a scale where you're doing automation, infrastructure code, CI/CD pipeline, all the shebang. And also at what point would you say that there is a gap between what a cloud service provider like Azure can provide versus what you need extra help with using a third party. All that and a lot more in this episode, and I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode if you're trying to find a path into Azure security architecture kind of a role, or if you know someone who is trying to get into an Azure security architecture role, please do share this with them as I think they would find it really valuable. And if you enjoyed this free episode and so did your friend, please feel free to drop us a review or rating on iTunes and Spotify. It really helps us get noticed by more people so I get to help out more people. And thank you to everyone who has left us a review or rating and made us your favorite podcast on your favorite podcast platform and the YouTube channel. Thank you so much for that. And I will see you in the next episode, which is this weekend. We have two episodes coming out, so I am sure you'll enjoy them as well. But for now, enjoy building architecture at scale in Azure for any application that is being built there. I'll talk to you on the weekend. See ya. Peace. As companies expand to the cloud, asset visibility worsens. The Jupyter One Cyber Asset Management Platform helps you get it back. Jupyter One provides context, understanding, and visibility into your entire cyber asset attack surface with over 150 integrations, including AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, and more. Jupyter One helps you answer complex security and infrastructure questions, understand the contextual relationships between assets, and build the foundation for your security program. Try it for yourself. Get started with your free Jupyter One account today. Hey, Sai. Welcome, man. How are you? Hi, Ashish. Doing good. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming in, man. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Last week, we spoke about leveling up at least the Azure security fundamentals for people who may be just starting. So I'm really excited about what we can talk about from a cloud security architecture perspective as well. But before we kind of get into that, for people who may not know who Sai is, can you just tell us about yourself and a bit about your professional background? Sure. So hi, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a principal architect currently with uh, Allscripts Healthcare. I'm part of the cloud platform team responsible for overall uh, availability and the security of the platform and all the applications that actually are hosted on the platform. I started off way back, I think uh, it's 15, 16 years plus experience in all of this stuff that you've been doing. And I've been started off as um, a desktop engineer, worked on servers, worked on data centers, and then eventually got into cloud. And it's it's been an absolute fun in the cloud better than the data center days. I can vouch for that as well. So let's start with the obvious because a lot of people may not even know what an architect does. Let's just start with that first. What does an architect do in a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, for us as a platform architect, day-to-day -day basis for me, working with various application teams across various business units and enabling them to be successful using the cloud services, you know, using Azure primarily because my focus area is Azure, enabling them to be kind of think of it as a cloud focused application development, you know, from and from the whole resource point of view to uh, code deployment, CI, CD pipelines, all the kind of stuff we have kind of plan out, implement it and, 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 you know, get it kind of operational on the cloud. So right. as, as an architect, it's all about planning design 
how it how it should look like on Azure, how it should be deployed, and you know all, all the stuff that actually goes into securing it as well. So, how do you design the architecture of an application kind of thing? Yeah, how do you design, yeah the application of the services that you know eventually someone else is going to consume, either it could be a you know end user, a client, partner, even or maybe your internal systems could be using it. That could be a next segue then, starting with day zero. Imagine we haven't done anything in Azure, and I'm gonna try and cater for people who are starting in Azure first and then kind of go into the advanced mode. So for people who are today is day zero and I have been told I need to put an application into Azure, what are some of the basic foundational design consideration people would have to make when building applications in Azure? So the top, so the top few that I would actually, I can talk about away would be to start off with is authenticate how is application going to work in authentication point of view who is going to mm -hmm. authenticate with the application and how is application going to authenticate with other services like if you have web services and function apps and you know kubernetes clusters and pods and so on how are they going to be accessing you know backend databases cosmos dbs and you know sql and 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 all of them and also how is user going to authenticate against these services to get access to them that will be a big thing you know natively azure ad has been really a, a great service for doing all of this stuff so, so be it even the inter-application authentication or even for end-user authentication. For So starting off with that, the next thing would be network controls. Everything on public cloud is public in, 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 in some terminology. So you have to actually always ensure that you have firewalls enabled. You have to actually ensure that, you know, your services are not exposed to the internet or not exposed to, you know, unnecessarily when not, when not necessary. So like mm -hmm. storage accounts and key vaults and container registries and stuff, which eventually you know, contained to some to, to certain degree sensitive data shouldn't be on the internet. They should be always privatized or they should be, you know, having some amount of network controls. Even if you don't take past services, even if you consider a web service or a or you know an a, a front end, there should be some kind of a WAF or something that actually, you know, governs the traffic that actually gets into your application. That's network controls. From there on, the next few things would be access and logging, access controls yeah. from an administration point of view. Who, which administrator should have access to the resources, who, who can modify or change them and so on. And then eventually logging as well. Everything must be logged. Everything, you know, data is very important for us. It kind of leads into a lot of compliance requirements that you have, you know, be it HIPAA, SOC or whatever. You, you've got to have data to evidence out what happened in the platform. So logging yep. is absolutely required. These are the few things that we at least get started off with. And then there would be so many more. Once you start to go deep dive into the application, its functionality, its exposure, and so on, you can actually then deep dive and you know kind of tweak it more to the application needs. Thank you for laying out the groundwork for where do you start with? Because um, what I noticed was you kind of mentioned authentication, networking, and access control. So I would have thought in my mind you would have spoken about security services as well. So where do the Azure security services play a role in this, and what's the thinking behind using those when designing an architecture? This is from, from an application point of view. As a platform, when you onboard a platform, that's where you have to actually enable, you know, so when you, on, when you onboard an, a subscription or less, a, a, the Azure service on within the enterprise, the first thing is to actually enable Defender and, uh, and Defender for Cloud. These services mm -hmm. get baked into the, to the subscription itself, to the tenant itself. Yeah. And then every every resource that's actually coming up on top of it actually will be monitored based on how you how you configure the policies on on security center and so on. That's how I, I so that's why I'm not going to detail on security services on the application tier. It's more of a platform thing. The application teams, in my opinion, should be abstracted out of that. It should be something that they inherit as they kind of onboard into the the the, the tooling that we provide. 
So when right. they deploy like a web service or they deploy Kubernetes or something like that, if you have Defender for cloud enabled and if you have all the required correct policies and stuff enabled on, on Defender, Kubernetes clusters, container registries, all of them start getting scanned automatically based on the policies that you deploy. Then, you know, if you have vulnerable images or if you have vulnerable processes and stuff, you know, you do get alerts and you do get notifications that, you know, hey, you know, this is this is going wrong or you have a, 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 a kind of a malicious file and so on. So that's how um, I, I see it. That, that actually simplifies the application side of it. They don't have to worry about what I need to do to secure my application. They already right. start building into a secure environment. This goes in very much into the RSA talk that we're giving in next week as well, like in, in, in June. So we kind of cover the platform readiness and then we talk about application design. And then from there on, we kind of go into, you know, operations as well. So, yeah, so that, that's, that's really, I, I didn't cover security services and application design. It's a good point as well. I was, that was a trick question, by the way. You, you, did really, you, did, you answered it really well. The reason I was asking was to kind of highlight the fact that for people who may be listening in from an architecture perspective, they kind of have to think about from two tracks as well. Like one would be an architect from, hey, I'm going to design the Azure platform for scale and how do I secure it? But then the other parallel track that is running is for applications that are going to be deployed, whether the application itself needs anything special, because then you can reuse something from your platform for the application as well. Now, to your point, that could be authentication or networking, as you pointed out, when you're building the platforms. Now, the next layer of question for this is then, if I have my platform sorted, I've got my application running as well. Now, at this point in time, does it make a difference if my application is using containers or is it using my regular VM? Would you approach this any differently if it was containers versus like, especially Windows containers? Because I don't hear much about them and you seem to have some knowledge in it. So, because I was like, why would you use Windows containers? But anyways, uh, I'll keep that conversation aside for now. But between like a virtual machine and a Windows container, would your approach be any different for design consideration as an architect? VMs as a whole, compared to a PaaS service, like even if it's not containers, even if it's a web service or a function app or a Lambda or whatever you have, there's footprint difference. So, so, so there's a footprint difference. VMs are a whole stack. You have to actually maintain it, manage it, upgrade it, update it, you know, secure, have a lot of firewall policies and all the kind of stuff that actually go with it. It's a lot of administration uh, that goes along with maintaining a VM. PaaS, it's, it's much more easier. You know, you have you just have the service layer and you only have to maintain the service and then you have to protect the service and safeguard the service from you know having controls and so on containers also different footprint it's not exactly as vms i would say you know it's it's much smaller footprint so your your update cycles and those could be much you know much more streamlined but then you do have inherent problems as in you're running in a, in a virtualized environment so you have plan out on how you scan them the challenge of containers mainly is, you know, the real-time scanning that actually happens. There's a lot of third-party tools available in the market. You know, right now, even I think Azure uh, Defender has some scanning available where it actually kind of catches a vulnerable pod or some, stuff like that. But that, that's one of the you know biggest concerns that you have actually note out. If you're having a traditional VM, that's not a problem. You install, you know, uh, Coalesce or, or, or other agents on those machines and, you know, they start kind of sending out data as to what's vulnerable, you know, what's going wrong and so on. But if it's container, it's more challenging. Your footprint is so small that you actually can't do it. So that's where it's 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 a different uh, mindset when you go to containers. It's not, you can't compare them with like a traditional VM-based deployment. And the security challenges that come with it are, are, are its own. Like even how you secure a container image, you know, how do you ensure that you're, you're pulling images from a secure location? How can you confirm that the image is not actually compromised or there is no, you know, 
somebody didn't ingest something malicious into the image and then you're consuming some um, kind of malicious image as well so all of those things comes kind of consider, comes into consideration when you when you build container based images beat windows or linux it's the same challenge windows images are a, windows images are a more painful process to go through but the challenges are the same uh, yeah so that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm that's glad you, i'm glad you said it man I, yeah. i'm glad i did not say that the windows containers are a challenge i don't even know why people go for that <laughs> there are some use cases of using windows containers we we had some success using windows containers in a one time use build agent so, so they they kind of to pick up a task and they they do a build build for you on azure devops or github and then they just terminate themselves so we we do that so we started with the basics of architecture we kind of then did the compute difference the security difference platform as well as the comparison between security architecture for a platform versus an application well, i want to talk about scaling as well and sounds like what we have been talking about is basically the foundational pieces if you don't have a great platform you can't build application but if you have application you can only build one you can't really multiply that bit 100 times so iac or infrastructure score is kind of like a very foundational piece to automating and doing a lot of things first of all what is iac for people who may not know what it is and why not clickops <laughs> i actually had to read about what is clickops <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> so iac is the code version of the infrastructure that you deploy so you in 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 simple terminology you know the vms that you deploy the sql servers the paas services whatever you deploy on on any cloud provider you know be it aws or azure they actually can be defined as code they can be defined as a json template or they could be you know like a terraform hcl language it's it's highly declarative but it's actually it's 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 a, it's a text file which you can read through and you can see the properties of of the resource you can actually define what you want it there you can define what size of the os disk you want or what services you want to expose to the internet and so on that that actually helps in keeping consistency a lot we always see scenarios where i think i did that on the portal but then something else happened or you know azure messed up because i was expecting to click on this and but you know something else actually happened i did not know what happened all of all of the stuff actually gets eliminated when you do iac you know you would know exactly what you wrote you know that's what is actually sent to azure and then you know what is sent is what actually gets deployed on 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 azure you know you could use a combination of arm templates you know they also have bicep which is a newer language it's fairly new i think it's it's still kind of picking up and also you can use terraform primarily uh, if you want to do more of open source cross cloud deployments as well clickops it's more kind of laborious so suppose i want to build up like say 40 machines and you know in multiple virtual networks and configure you know all uh, the firewall rules and nsg rules and all the stuff that actually goes along with configuring an environment that's going to take forever and if i want to do it like multiple times across multiple regions across you know various azure locations like in the us in europe and all the kind of stuff it's just it's just going to take forever and inevitably we are humans we're going to make some mistake i'll assume i clicked something i'll assume that i did something else there but it that's not what i clicked and that's not what actually got you know input into the system as well sometimes iac or you know using code is mm-hmm. better because there are features and there are some options that you only can you know apply using code you can't do it in the ui yeah. so for example some firewall i think container registry or something on azure one of them you can't really apply firewall rules on the portal anymore maybe uh, maybe now you can but in the past you could only you have to actually use cli or if you use terraform or arm templates to actually apply those things some options might not just be available so it's better to you know codify it validate it test it out someone can review it and then it gets deployed the bigger aspect also is review you know you suppose you have a human being going and doing it you know you don't know what they're doing there's no one looking over what they're configuring 
But if you have something in code, it's reviewed by the peers. They actually, they actually have a peer review. You know, you ensure that, you know, everything is correct. There's no, the internet exposure is minimized. All that kind of stuff is correctly designed. And then, you know, it's implemented. Yeah. It's the age old problem of it works on my machine, but doesn't work on yours. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like for people who come from data center world would know about it. But also, I think from, from my point of view as an architect, uh, the closure you get when you finish an application is to see it successfully deployed the way you intended it to be designed, like, you know, where, yeah. you, where you designed it. And if it is not, and if there's no way to check it, you know, so, so, so you can go run tools and you can go verify the implementation. But if you don't have a code to verify what you did and see, okay, this is what we put in paper as a design. Now, this is what is kind of represents in code and this is what exists on the platform. It becomes extremely challenging on to audit and verify if uh, everything's correctly done. Mm -hmm. uh, especially from a security point of view, it, it becomes a big challenge. So IACs prefer than, you know, ClickOps. ClickOps won't, <laughs> won't let you scale. It's, it's going to... It's funny. I, I heard this once. And for people who still may not have understood what ClickOps is, basically, it's like you're doing next, next, next on the screen using your mouse. We spoke about the importance of not using ClickOps and going down the path of automating. You can't touch on ARM and BICEP. What, what are they from Azure? So they, they are the native languages provided by Azure for IA. So, so Terraform is more open source. It's it's managed by HashiCorp and it's open source. So native services on Azure, if you, if you want to deploy something into, into Azure as an ARM template or a BICEP. Uh, BICEP is more of an abstraction of ARM templates. It, it's easier to understand than ARM templates, but it is, it's, 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 it's more native to the solution. Like it's, it's more native to Azure itself. You can't use it for other services outside of, uh, of Azure. Right. Other than that, you also could use PowerShell and CLI, but that's more to do with like operational tweaks if you want to do it. But I don't really recommend that as a full-fledged implementation. That's not that's not going to scale again. But there are there are some places where IAC might not really work out, and that's where you you want to stress on you some code again, which is like CLI or PowerShell to you know set up the the last bit of the resource, something like that. You know, if you have some configuration to tweak or, or stuff like that, that's what you right. want to do. I'm glad you kind of pointed out that templates and biceps may not always be the same. Is IAC something I can use for the application as well, or is it just for platforms? It's only for infrastructure. You could do some amount of application deployment in that. You know, you could you could configure a web, web service or a function app. You could you could package it in such a way, but it's not really recommended. IAC. So so Terraform or, or ARM templates and stuff are best only for deploying. If you want to do a post deployment, like you know, application level deployment, you should use a different pipeline for that. That's also, it actually goes back into the design aspect of the application, considering availability of the platform, considering availability of the, of the, of, of the application itself. It's, it's best to actually have them both kind of segmented out. The infrastructure deployment should happen in, on its own, and then the application should happen as a post-deployment task. The, they're both two different separate specialized tasks by themselves. I've got a question here from Mayank as well over here. I'm going to rephrase this. How much can we depend on Terraform for any cloud security platform? So if I if I can understand the question, so I think it's like how much. So so Terraform is actually very very dependent. You know you can depend on it for a lot of resources. There the you know it's it's the the maintenance of the modules and the and the resources are very unlike you know some some few years ago. Most of the latest features that are available on the platform are available in Terraform as well, both from a security point of view as well as from a resource configuration point of view. So you can depend on it a lot. So there are scenarios where something that just came out like last week might not be available because this is open source. You know it's going to take it's going to take some time to catch up. That's right. when, you know, you have to actually maybe pair it with ARM, bicep, maybe a bit of bicep, like wrap bicep and ARM maybe into Terraform and then use that to deploy. Mm. Worst case scenario, you know, there, there are scenarios where, you know, you'll have to maybe run like a 
PowerShell or an AZ CLI command along wrapped around with, with Terraform and then deploy, you know, use that to kind of configure the resource. Like, for example, like some resources and some services like Front Door, they have limitations on how, so they, they, those resources are kind of changing very, very rapidly on Azure platform and Terraform has some catch up to do at times. That's where, you know, pairing Terraform with um, CLI or PowerShell will be the best kind of results as well. We spoke about Terraform and we spoke about Azure Bicep Arm as well. Now, probably the second most important component of uh, building at scale is CI/CD pipeline. How would you describe yeah. CI/CD pipeline and what are some of the design considerations there? So, so now we have code. We can run the code from a local machine and then you know run the, the required PowerShell commands and deploy Terraform or even Terraform command or you know or, or Arm or you know Bicep as well. But that's again, that's not going to scale because now we are dependent on one human being to run, you know, commands and then execute them. And they might be having issues, you know, they might lose internet, they might, you know, so maybe, maybe even machine crash also. Everything will just go for a toss after that, you know, you, your timelines will be impacted. Mm. That's why CICD pipelines come into picture. So whatever you, whatever is written in code is, you know, source controlled. You have a strict review process so that, you know, someone always checks what you actually wrote, what is, what, what you're kind of configuring and what you plan to deploy. Yeah. After that, it get merged into the main branch. And from the main branch, you have pipelines that actually execute. So execute. So pipelines are nothing but a collection of tasks or actions that are set yeah. to do, that are set in a sequence to perform, you know, perform a deployment or perform a configuration or perform a certain kind of action on, on Azure or AWS or, or any other platform of your choice. Yeah. So the way I would, so in, in the way I design applications, I'm more to do with blast radius we consider the impact of an application or pipeline going wrong and how much it can take down. So rather than having everything in one pipeline or rather than having like hundreds of pipelines and one pipeline for every resource, group group number of services into a collection, like, you know, maybe if it's a multi-tier application or if you have a front-end service or if you have a network tier and stuff and so on, group all resources that actually are uh, alike and deploy them in one pipeline. So that's how we kind of design pipelines as well. And then we kind of segment that out between resource deployment and 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 the, the application configuration. They're two different pipelines. We don't want, because application configuration and application pipelines, you want the application team to have more control and they should be able to iterate fast. They shouldn't yeah. be tied into a resource deployment pipeline. They shouldn't be waiting for the infra pipelines to run to do the application stuff. So we want to enable them to be faster and you know deploy sooner on Azure or AWS. So, Pipeline design attributes, three major things, blast radius and, and and segmentation of resource versus application deployment. And then blast radius also to a point where you can, based on the, based on the size of the application, you know, maybe network is one pipeline, maybe the front ending is one pipeline, and maybe the data tier is a pipeline and stuff like that. That's how you have to plan it out. It also governs with the state file. It also governs with access restrictions. So you only have network team who can run the network pipelines. You only have, you know, the 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 infrastructure, uh, you know, teams able to do server deployments and so on using these pipelines. And in case something goes wrong, it only takes down that tier. It doesn't take down every the entire application with it. That's an interesting point you touched on about the whole CI/CD pipeline, where one per app versus infrastructure separated by application and grouping as well. So I'm going to do a question that came in from Sunil Prasad Murlidhar. Uh, uh, Sunil's question is, hi, Sai, where do you believe cloud security products today fall short in terms of meeting the needs of practitioners such as yourself, missing IOC, context, alert volume, runtime? This is actually a great question because I've got a question on monitoring as well. So where do you see the cloud security products fall short? 
Native products actually, there, there is, I think native products, there, there is amount of integration that sometimes is missing on native products. There are a lot of third-party tools that actually fill in this, this gap. But natively on platform itself, you know, you, the alert might be late, there might be false alerts, and, you know, it might be even kind of misrepresented because of stale data. The refresh cycles and stuff might be pretty late. That actually might give you long, kind of, kind of uh, misrepresent your environment from a security point of view. But, you know, I think other than that, there are some third-party tools that can be paired with native services that will fill in these gaps. Okay. So, and yeah. you, you know, do you feel like you have to kind of switch over to something else in, at, at that point? Or? No, it's a combination of them. You, 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 you always, you know, it's, it's always a, a combination of tools that you end up using eventually to kind of get all the results that you're looking for from a security point of view. So it's right. not, you know, you can't rely only on one tool for everything. There are there are tools which are specialized only in vulnerability management. There are tools that only specialize in, say, scanning of resources and so on. So you yeah. use those tools to fill in any gaps that the native tools don't provide. One of the questions that people always have, which is not taught in many certification as well, is if you're building an application, say you use everything that has to be offered by Azure, would you say you would have gaps in security capability if you were to just only do Azure? Now, there's a whole separate argument about whether you're using parts of your your Azure is basically a mix of on-prem or whatever. But if I were to just go, I'm cloud first, I'm building my application in cloud and I'm building uh, everything using cloud native Azure things only. Sure. Would there be still gaps left at that point in time from an architecture perspective that you would probably see? It, it'll give you enough to... So I think it depends on what you want to get out of the platform as well. So if you're looking at, say, uh, let, let's take an example of, say, this like a SQL database, kind of a misconfiguration of a SQL database, or a past service being misconfigured. Azure Security Center or Defender for Cloud will not alert if there is something going wrong. They will just tell you that, hey, we recommend don't doing it. But if you use a third-party tool, you'll get an alert saying, you know, there is a misconfiguration of a SQL database. There's this misconfiguration of a storage account or stuff like that. So Security Center or Defender for Cloud will give you sufficient to get started with. But if you're looking at yeah. more enterprise scale, multi-cloud, multi-application, correlation, all that kind of stuff, you, you I, I, the, it's best to get actually get some third-party tools also involved in, in, in this. In, so, yeah. So at scale, yeah, at scale, exactly. Yeah. And also if you have multi, multi-region, like multi-cloud deployments, you know, security center doesn't always solve all of those problems. So you'll have to then, you know, use in other tools that actually fill in those gaps for you. Yeah. Though E5 license in Microsoft definitely helps fill a lot of the gaps and makes a whole big hole in your pocket as well, but you can afford that. <laughs> but that's, those are good considerations, man. So it's definitely the bare minimum. I'll not say that's the best, but it's definitely the bare minimum you can get started with. And then yeah. it's, it, Powerful. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay Azure or something. It's powerful. Like, you know, so combination of Defender for Cloud and, and Azure policies and stuff, you can actually do a lot of, you know, you actually can alert and do a lot of good stuff. But that's not always what security teams also look for. They want alerts. They want to see what's going on. That may not be yeah. fully baked into Defender or it may not be that that efficient as what a third-party tool might have, uh, kind of offer. So right. that's where third-party tools come into picture. We were talking about CI/CD pipelines, and what are some of the design considerations? Because we are talking about building application in Azure in a secure way, in a way that it can be scaled as well. We spoke about the platform, we spoke about application, and we kind of touched on the IAC part, CI/CD part, and you touched on whether you would go with an individual CI/CD pipeline per application, or would you group them as services, based on what just Sunil asked about over here. What are you? normally recommending people to monitor in an Azure platform? I mean, obviously it would depend on the application and what the kind of application is, but in general, as an architect, what are some of the 
basic monitoring things you're asking people to at least monitor for or have some kind of an operational capability around so uh, it depends yeah as i think it depends mainly on which what what application is you're deciding on azure so if you're going for pass services then you know you're using native monitoring capabilities of pass using mm -hmm. uh, app insights or insights itself yeah. I, I would say log everything that's possible, get get all the logs that are, that you can. And then once you have the data, you can then alert based on what you feel is more relevant for the application. Some applications are very spiky that, you know, they have, you know, where, where they, you know, have like bursts of, uh, you know, data that they process and stuff and so on. And those kind of applications having like a CPU or memory monitor doesn't make really a lot of, of um, sense sometimes. Also on the firewalls and stuff, if you see a lot of connections being dropped or, you know, connections being made on, you know, random ports and stuff, you might want to get alerts on that so that, you know, if, if there's someone trying to get into the system, you can actually alert and track it. Same thing for front door kind of services. For IaaS and PaaS, for, for IaaS, it's, it's totally different. Again, for IaaS, you want to do security monitoring, you want to do vulnerability management, and on the VMs, you want to you want to see, you know, if, if your VM is vulnerable to any, any uh, known, known issues. Uh, yeah. If there's any patches missing and 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 so on, so it's it's a combination of availability as well as security monitoring for for IaaS as well. So if in case the machine is going to get restarted or it's going to or it's gone offline, you want alerts for that as well. Those are some considerations that you want to take into for IaaS itself. But for PaaS, I would say native services do a really good job of monitoring it, especially App Insights. If you have App Insights deployed for for a web application and functions and stuff, it gives you an overall overview of the service as well. It tells you at which at, at which layer and at, at which hop of the service that the application went offline or what what happened, you'll actually get to see the whole history and the whole trail of events that actually happened in, on Log Analytics. So it's a very useful tool. Yeah, and probably another one to call out over here then is that, okay, if you have app insights and it seems like a lot of other things that you can go forward with, how do you even measure maturity? There might be a lot of people who might start today and we start this whole interview with the conversation that today is day zero, we're starting from scratch. So for people who are listening into you, you're going to go, okay, like, seems like I have a lot of work to do. Where does one start? What are some of my basic foundational things that I can maybe, after I finish listening to this episode on the audio podcast or watch the live stream, what can I go ahead and at least do as a basic benchmark to feel like, you know, at least I've done the basic, very, very basic level one, if you were to use that word uh, from a maturity perspective, and how do you kind of scale that up? What's your thought process for what is level zero versus level 10, if that's how high you can go? I would say level zero, level one was to at least first enable logging. So the so if you, if you deploy a pass service natively on Azure, if you deploy key vault or storage accounts and stuff and all, diagnostic logging, which actually monitors the serve for, you know, number of hits, number of failures, you know, who why they're failing, all the kind of stuff is not enabled by default. You have to actually enable diagnostic logging for it. So step one would be to first create a log analytics works, have a centralized one. Don't have, having multiple of them is not going to work out because, you know, it gets to, you know, you, you have too many and you don't know which one has what kind of logging. And yep. the security center and defender for cloud and Sentinel also get into trouble scanning all of them. You know, you, you start to have more cost and more operational burden. So mm -hmm. have a centralized one if you want to do it per region, you know, however it is. Send all of logs to that. That's definitely like step one. Once you okay. have the data, analyze the data, see what the application is more relevant to, and then accordingly scan or you know alert for vulnerabilities or you know the events that actually happen on that. For example, if you have a storage account that's expecting data uploads. Only, only, only data uploads. When you start to see someone trying to read data from it or download data from it, that's that's an alert you want. So if yeah. you don't have the data, you don't even know what's going on, and you can't alert on top of it. And then from there on, you have Log Analytics Workspace. You have the logs. You have the custo language. You customize your query. 
based on the environment, based on, you know, the various parameters that you want. And then you can create alerts from there. You can also create like, you know, dashboards and, and graphs and so on and, and take it from there. That that will be, you know, to start with. And then dashboards and having real-time monitoring would be like like a good seven, eight. Someone has a real-time dashboard on their Azure, that's like level seven or eight. Yeah. And then from there on, you can do real-time alerting as well. And you can, you know, get text messages and then, so alerting is always, I think, I, I would say alert, so alerting is always like a constant thing. You have to keep on checking it and see if it is still relevant for the environment and then tweak yeah. the alert. So it's, so, it's a, so, it's a, so it's a continuous operation. It's not like you set it up and then you're done with it. You have to always tweak it to meet your requirements and meet the changes in the platform as well. What about auditing and compliance kind of thing? What, how does that fit into all of this? Uh, the way I see it is, you know, you have to actually build in those requirements into the design. So, that, so again, logging is one of the key aspects of, you know, compliance, you know, you, you've got to know what's happening in the platform. If you don't know what's happening in the platform, that's, that's a big issue. You got yeah. to kind of, you, you got to manage your deployments. You got to know who has access to your environment. So all of that stuff is baked into the design. So we started off with authentication, access controls, you know, then go into CSCD pipelines. And one of the reasons why we do segmentation of pipelines is we absolutely know which team has access to which pipeline and who only can who's authorized to run those pipelines. So you don't have any unauthorized usage of those pipelines, which will go maybe cause a negative impact to the environment. Yep. Coming to the portal level access itself, you actually have to control all of that. All of that feeds into the compliance and various controls that you actually apply. And then pipelines are your ultimate, you know, deployment strategy. So if you want to do change management and stuff, pipelines actually help with that. So you actually have proper approvals. You have a tracker who approved it, who initiated the pipeline, who requested for the change, all that stuff is actually tracked in that. So all of these things eventually feed in. You know, unknowingly, you know, you kind of set it up, you know, it's painful, you set it up, but then eventually when you sit in front of the auditor and you say, now look at this, you know, do you have this? Yeah, we have pipelines, I can evidence who ran it. You know, do you have that? Yeah, we have that. You know, who merged this code? I have PR for it. Who approved it? I know who approved. So all of that stuff is just baked into the platform. It's, it's It makes it uh, a lot more easier to kind of sit through audits and have all the answers ready rather than scrambling at that point of time. Basically, I was just going to summarize that, you know, all the stuff that we spoke about all this while will directly feed into the compliance and, and auditing and enable, you know, the application to be, you know, built securely rather than being an afterthought. Like making these changes afterwards is going to be a pain. Like if you want to enable some stuff later and you want to do, then do CCD pipelines and then do, do Terraform and you already have resources, you have conflicting interests, you know, you have deployments that you have to actually go through. Now, it's a different challenge to meet once the application is live and you're already having deployments complete. You are a principal architect as well. So maybe we can switch into some of this conversation as well. What are some of the skills that's required for people who are trying to be a principal security architect in the Azure space? So the certifications and trainings definitely help. They give you a foundational understanding of which service is used for what. Mm. But after that, it's just getting your hands dirty and, and going through you know, various iterations and you know, deployments and stuff and so on and, and just understanding... So we, we are thought a lot of stuff, you know, we answer a lot of questions in, in exams as well, but not all of them will actually suit an environment when you look at it from a compliance point of view. Like some, some services we just outright can't use at all. Like they're not secure enough for us to use. They don't have the logging capabilities that, you know, an, 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 an organization can actually use in their environment. So those only you, you get to see once you start to get your hands dirty in the platform and you kind of go through the pain of seeing and, you know, understanding the application and also understanding the environment that you're working in. That eventually gets you, you know, gets experience, and then you can become a principal or even senior uh, architect. Are there any frameworks you follow as an architect, or have you got a general mindset in terms of what you normally look out for? So I am TOGAF certified, so I use TOGAF a lot. I use reuse a lot. You know, if it is it's already available, so the COTS methodology. So if you already have it on the platform, so just take it. Don't have to rebuild everything from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So 
and more input output based uh, mindset so the requirements and then you use services available on the platform or you build, build them and then you you give you give the outputs like the the whole the togaf methodology of for people who may not know what togaf is they might think it's a black belt man what what is togaf <laughs> it's open group it's the open group architecture framework they there are multiple phases of the application the the framework and you know they take you through various solution architecture patterns and and an enterprise architecture patterns as well and there the are cloud specific ones as well i don't know if togaf is cloud specific it's more platform or you know technology agnostic it's there are more sec- there, there are security add-ons and and cloud add-ons if i'm not wrong but then yeah it's it's not it's not it's just a framework like architecture framework i'll put a link for that as well on the show notes so people can see that so last question then where can people learn about azure cloud security kind of information like it sounds like there's a lot to learn there for people who may be starting today or at least for people who are trying to go to that level 7 maturity where can people learn about azure cloud security i would say microsoft docs is really a good resource the documents are updated a lot they they kept up to date they they kept you know kind of the 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 the, the, the kind of constant releases also made on the platform so microsoft mm-hmm. docs microsoft documentation is the best place to get started with and then maybe have you know look at blogs and other tech tech community articles that will Maybe you can fill in any gaps that the Microsoft article may be missing Maybe. with screenshots and stuff and so on. So I always rely on Microsoft articles. Their roadmap, their blogs also is really good. They have a lot of details in the blogs as well in the roadmap documentation as well. Sweet. It's funny. People with AWS normally recommend the opposite. Like don't don't completely rely on AWS. <laughs> Go on Azure. So on the Azure side, it sounds like you can definitely rely on the Microsoft documentation. So start with that always. I always so I, so 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 same with the tooling as well. So start with what Microsoft has to offer default available. Yep. And then from there on, if it is it doesn't meet your requirements, or if it is too narrow, or if it's too broad, and then then go with other tools or other documentation as well. So I would always right. start there and understand the latest functionality and features available, and then maybe look at any other blogs that actually can help uh, better understand the concept that they are detailing out in the release articles. That's how I always do uh-huh. it. Awesome. Now, thanks so much for this, man. This uh, the the entire episode has been awesome. Like we're talking about designing and building applications in the Azure side from a cloud security architecture as well. So, sort of, I definitely recommend people go back and listen to the episode on whichever social media platform. Towards the end, I have fun section, which is basically three questions, not too many, just to get so that people who have been listening into all the amazing genius of Azure security that you've been teaching us, so that we can get to know the other side of Sai as well. So, the first question is, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on Azure? or technology in general oh i like to take walks i go for long walks that's a, uh, that's, that's a good thing to do especially <laughs> after covid i guess people are like i want to step out of my house and do a lot more than just sitting in my house so that's a good activity man second question what is something that you're proud of but is not on your social media i don't know i i play chess i'm proud of it but i don't think it's out. i don't yeah so i have Cool. All right. That's all. Like. Uh, and what's the the last question? What what is your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share? Oh, Indian for sure. <laughs> uh, Indian food. Oh, that's pretty good, man. Uh, cool. Uh, well, I'm I'm looking for the your Indian food recommendation as well. When I but I'll I'll definitely ask people to check out your talk at RSA, which is sure. in a, in a couple of weeks, I think. So I'm yeah, two weeks. Two weeks from now. Well, at yeah. RSA in San Francisco. Now with this uh, on mind my where can people find you if they have more follow up questions around azure azure security can... I'm active on linkedin and twitter not very active on twitter but you know I'm active on linkedin so you can reach out I'm also on twitter so follow me and I don't I don't tweet a lot I just 
But you, LinkedIn you, is more active. You're kind of like me. You're trying to find your way on Twitter because I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to find my way on Twitter as well. Like, what is this platform that people keep talking about? Yeah. Uh, especially after now Elon Musk has bought it. And I think that caught my attention. Or at least <laughs> he's trying to buy it. Uh, but th- thanks so much for this, man. Thank you, everyone, for tuned in at the Twitter space as well. Mr. Iris and Lefono. Hopefully you got had found it valuable. And for people who are on the live stream, do check us out on the website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv for more Cloud Security Podcast episodes. And uh, definitely check out our LinkedIn and YouTube channel for all the other episodes that we do on Cloud Security. But for now, thank you so much for that. Uh, thanks, Lefono. Thanks, Mr. Aris. We'll see you in the next one. We do this every weekend. So we'll see you on the uh, next weekend episode. Thanks, guys. And thanks, everyone, on the live stream as well. See ya. And thank you, everyone, on the live stream. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.